0: Take the base and take a bow, number 13. Really stopping the game. Damn, can we get the base after the game? To, I mean, this is this is pretty absurd.
1: I mean, it, it's
0: just a hell of an accomplishment. Totally, but you but can't stop the game and want a highlight it, montage. I thought 5-5 five, in five the tenth wasn't the best time to celebrate the individual. We were in the middle of an important Competition, these are the decisions. It's not absolute, but it's my opinion that in that moment, probably not the best choice. I've been doing this for 25 years. I feel like a decent amount of people should sort of know what my vibe is. Sure. It ain't get off my lawn. If you had the chance to have a beer with your favorite baseball player, what would you talk about? Would you ask the same tired questions like every reporter after the game? How did you feel? What was going through your mind? Yada, yada, yada. Probably not. It's time you hear the stories that these players have never told. This is the Setup Man podcast, where we have conversations that every fan wants to hear and the stories that every player and coach deserve to share. Let's get started.
1: Hey, welcome into the Setup Man podcast. It's me, Kyle Stanley, coming to you with our new series today with broadcasters. We've got a four-week series with MLB broadcasters. But before we do, I'm just really excited that you're here listening to us. It's episode number six today. But today, before we get into our new broadcaster series, I've got a very, very fun announcement. And that is if you're watching on YouTube and you're seeing this Setup Man hat, and you're like, hey, that's that's pretty nice right there. Yeah, the, the Setup Man on the side. Or the shirt Setup Man shirt. These are some of my favorite shirts to wear. Stretchy. They're breathable. I love them. Uh, If you want to get one of these, I'm going to give you, like, literally the easiest way to get this swag. Eventually, I'm going to be charging for the swag, but right now, it's free, and here's all you have to do. It's three easy steps. Number one, review us on either Apple or Spotify or subscribe and leave a comment on our YouTube channel. So, you get either or. You can either rate and review on Apple, rate on Spotify. Spotify or subscribe and leave a comment on YouTube. Make sure that you re listen to that. Rewind 10 seconds. We need to hear that again. Then, whatever you decide to do, take a screenshot and send that screenshot to me, Kyle at setupman.net. So, number one, review. Number two, take a screenshot. Number three, email me that screenshot to Kyle at setupman.net. If you do just that, that's all you got to do i'm going to send you either a hat or a shirt whichever one you like and i might even give you a bonus on one more thing that you can do if you want to get both so go ahead and do that super simple we'll go ahead and put those instructions in the show notes but that ends november 1st so as this is released today in middle of october we're going to end that november 1st so if you if you do this after november 1st you're not going to get this opportunity but also, go to setupman.net to see all of our episodes and make sure to subscribe to our list because we are going to have even more of these fun giveaways, more of these fun contests coming up. Now, let's go ahead and start our four-week broadcaster series. Today is Boog Shambi. Now, this series is very special to me because I, myself, wanted to become a broadcaster. That was really my whole experience going through college was I was dead set on becoming a broadcaster. And these four guys were instrumental in to my path in that and you'll see boog who we're going to start with uh was someone i actually got to work right next to matt vaskers i got to work with him for two years len casper was just so gracious in allowing me to being able to have dinner with him every time he came into san diego and chip carey you know i grew up listening to him being a cups fan so this whole series has a really cool place in my heart but with that let's go ahead and start today's episode boog shambi Goes by Boog, real name is John. He's the Cubs broadcaster, and the reason we're starting with him is because he's actually been in the news recently. Him and his broadcast partner, JD, were kind of uh, you know, in some hot water there for what they said about Ronald Acuna's 70th stolen base. If you haven't heard about it, long story short, Ronald Acuna had his 40 home runs, already had become the first ever 40-50, so 40 home run, 50 stolen base player. Then he did it at 60 stolen bases, and then he did it at 70 stolen bases. And it was at a very key time during the game and during the Cubs season, who the Braves were playing, that had this happen in a blowout game or in the second inning who cares but it was the 10th inning of a five to five game if the Cubs had won they get to keep their postseason hopes alive if they lose it is a intense uphill battle with only a few games left in the season and basically Ronald Cunha you know he's putting the base above his head and And there's a montage that's being played out there in the outfield of all of his stolen bases for the year. And the broadcasters, as you heard at the beginning of that, were just kind of like, seriously, this is when we choose to do it. So he got a lot of lash back on that. We're going to talk about that. We're going to also talk about his job with the Cubs and how that came about, his role with MLB The Show, and also he's got a really cool project with Project Main Street fighting ALS, so make sure to hear how you can get participating with that as well. And please, please do yourself a favor. Stay to the very end because there is a hilarious, hilarious Tori Lavello story, the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, I was, cr- I literally had tears in my eyes from the story that Boog told. So without further ado... You can stop listening to me. Let's go ahead and listen to Boog Shambi here on the Setup Man podcast. All right, Boog, uh, this is fun for me, uh, not just because I – and you have worked with so many people, but I got to run stats for you back when I was still a college student uh, in your days with the Braves. I was working for the Padres. um, And now when you became the Cubs broadcaster, I was like, oh, that's cool. I've I've got a little connection to Boog. and, And I started doing some research, man. And I was like, where did that nickname come from anyway? And so I ended up finding out this is uh, from Boog Powell, who, uh, I mean, I got to be honest. I, I had to look up <laughs> that player, too, because I didn't know who that was. But there was a striking resemblance. Um, who who exactly gave you that nickname? What's the story behind that? Guy
0: named Dave Lamont. I was down in Miami. I had moved down there. I was living on Bob Wischusen's couch. Uh, okay. Bob's the radio voice of the Jets and an ESPN announcer. He's one. Of, he's great doing football and does the NHL also. But uh, I think I was training on the morning show. Dave Lamont and the former NFL player, Joe Rose. Dave Lamont's from the D.C. area. He's a big Orioles fan. And he, he said, you look like Boo Powell. And I, and I don't really look like Boo Powell. But, you know, they, <laughs> one of these things where, you know, when you're a unicorn ginger, we're only, you know, a little less than 2% of the population. They think we all <laughs> look alike. So, like, I was a big ginger so we look alike so i went in that morning and on you know my mailbox kids ask your parents what a mailbox is Um, (laughs) at the office it said john chomby and the next day i came in and it taped over it was boob powell and it just kind of stuck
1: that's awesome so i gotta ask like you know the south park episode about redheads taking over the world is is there is there truth to that
0: you know people start different rumors you know like <laughs> even scully who's was one of us um you know read something on the air that we were going to go extinct we're not going extinct <laughs> um you know we're just we are unicorns we're just we're the ultimate minority and uh i i don't think it's taking over the world like we're we've been secretly running the world for a long time and people just need Oh
1: to yeah <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to have to get used to that fact, huh? Um, guys, if you're listening in, Setup Nation, if you're listening in, you're like, why does this voice sound familiar? Well, that's because Boog, as of 2022, is now the voice of MLB The Show. Yeah. Uh, first of all, congrats. That's super cool. I know Maddie V was the voice before, and we got to have yeah. him on the show. What was getting that call like, and what was that process like of uh, <laughs> you know doing all these recordings without actually a game going on? Was that kind of weird?
0: Very. It's very weird. Um, Maddie's a really good friend of mine. Um, yeah, we've, we've known each other a long time. And uh, getting a chance to do it is really cool. It's cool to be, I think to some extent, impacting younger baseball fans.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Finding out that I was doing it was a thrill. The process is different. You hit on what – there's no game going on. And so it's not – even though what it's designed to do – and hopefully does is it sounds like I do when I'm broadcasting. That's not what the process is. So it's, you know, at this point, I probably recorded 300 hours where there's no game going on. Yeah. So it's <laughs> weird. And you also, you have to recreate things that as an announcer, you don't think about whether it's, you know, they're trying to stitch something together and you don't realize where your intonation is in a certain spot so it's been a lot of fun i get to work with chris singleton on it the guys at sony are amazing their attention to detail their passion for both baseball and broadcasting and their knowledge is really great so it's been super cool when when i go to wrigley field and there are kids outside and somebody tells one of them that i'm the mlb the show guy to have some 10 or 11-year-old kid kind of yeah. freaked out by that is neat. I, I It just is, man. It's just, you know, it's it's a really cool thing.
1: It's almost like you're the celebrity at that point.
0: Right. <laughs> it's not really.
1: In, in your mind, like, are you trying to think about, okay, this play that I'm about to describe reminds me of this play that happened when I was, you know, doing this broadcast, so I got to, like, channel that feeling, or or do you just try to do your best to read the script?
0: Uh it's hard to. It, it's so it, the metaphor doesn't totally work, but yeah. So like, whereas I want to be and think of myself as like a Michelin five star chef, for the amount of stuff they need, I've got to be a short order cook. Yeah, so. Mm. At times I think about it, but it's one single line. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, yeah, at
1: times I think about it. Uh, were there any um, lines they put in front of you where you were like, this is weird or random or, <laughs> or was all of yeah, that stuff that you'd say? No, okay. and I still, every once
0: in a while, I'll still say, yeah, I'm not saying that or I wouldn't say that. And they're <laughs> like, you
1: got it. <laughs> can you can you give me one line that you're just like, I refuse? Or do you remember I have
0: one off the top of my head?
1: Okay. If you think of one sometime randomly in this interview, you just let me know. Uh, all right, so Boog, you were with the Marlins for about seven years from ninety seven to two thousand and four, then the Braves for a few years. And then you actually went national for a while. Um, what was what was the the reason for you at that point in two thousand and nine when you were like, Yeah, I I feel like the calling is now to go do national games. And then you even did a little bit of uh, college basketball as well. So what what was part of that decision for you?
0: I think it was multiple things. One was, uh, one was from a national standpoint to be the national voice and the hope that eventually I would call the world series Mm nationally in some form this year, (laughs) you know, 13 years later, I'm getting my chance. So I get awesome. to call the World Series nationally on the radio this year for the first time. So that's, oh, that's great. so that was part of it. Um, I think the other thing would be personally at that time, I was in a place where I had just gone so many different places to chase, you know, trying to climb and get better. I wanted to go home. I wanted to go back to New Mm -hmm. York. And so working nationally allowed me to live wherever I wanted to live, and I wanted to go back home. So that was one of the things that kind of fueled it. I loved my time both in Miami and Atlanta. Um, You know, I saw two teams win the World Series with the Marlins. I have two World Series rings. So, But I, I just, yeah, I wanted to get home, and my experience at ESPN helped me a ton.
1: That's great. So then on the flip side, 2021, uh, the Cubs job opens up from your friend, Len Casper leaving. Um, what did they approach you? Did you approach them? Well, they approached the me. Okay.
0: They approached me and I, and I can't say like initially it wasn't really on. It's funny because I had inside information from Len that he was going to do this probably a year ahead of time. Oh, wow. Um, we just spoke about it and then as it got closer and closer we started to speak about it more and more and even when it came to fruition the first thing in my brain was not maybe I'll try to get that job it just mm. wasn't in my head um, and then I think it just ended up being a confluence of events I think the more I talked with the Cubs people, and the more I really sat with it, the, the more I realized that it was a really good fit. And also, you know, ESPN continued to move away from the baseball business. Well, mm. so when when I went there in two thousand and five, they had radio games Saturday and Sunday, Sunday night baseball on TV. Monday night games with a backup. So, like, if you were in doing Yankees-Red Sox, 15% of the country would get the Guardians and the Tigers. Yeah. And then they had a Wednesday day game. And then they had a Wednesday night game and a Thursday game. So, I think – So, there was a ton of games there. And then by, you know, the end of 20, they basically just went to one TV game a week and uh, and I didn't get Sunday Night Baseball. So. Yeah, that's kind of it. it. And I, I would say I ended up being. Really lucky because the Cubs job. As good as I thought it would be, I would say it's been even better.
1: Really, what's been better about it? It's, it's just,
0: I'm a baseball junkie, and mm-hmm. I have done tons of games at Wrigley Field and been in this market, but to be around it every day, um, especially when the team hasn't even overall been good. I mean, you're talking about three years of 91 losses, 88 losses, and two and a half months into the season this year, they were ten under five hundred. Yeah, and I was still like, this place is awesome. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, so I, it's it's been it's been an amazing thing to connect with a fan base, and then I don't. I I knew JD, and I knew I was really going to love working with him. I don't think that I could have anticipated the connection that I have with JD and Taylor yeah, um, and how much I enjoy going to work with them every day. I get to work with two friends and it's, it makes it a lot of fun
1: from a fan perspective. I, I saw that come through from the broadcast even more this year. I felt like, Year one, you know, you probably were still developing that relationship. Year two, it seemed like you guys were really starting to get comfortable. This year, it was like inside joke left and right with with you guys. It just seems like there's, you know, and and you just from like a player's perspective, right? Like you always hear about, oh, you know, this team has really good chemistry. You get kind of tired hearing that. But like you guys have really good chemistry. It seems like you guys just have fun doing a broadcast.
0: Yeah, we do. I also would say I I don't think and, and it doesn't. It doesn't really matter, but I would make the point. um, I don't think that when fans watch, they're particularly self-aware about how they're experiencing stuff. So like, for example, my first year, for the first two and a half months, they only allowed 25% of the people into the ballpark.
1: Really? Oh, Oh, you're talking about because of COVID? Yeah. Yeah. And you're
0: like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, it. I
1: forgot about that. <laughs>
0: and then, and for the first half of the year, we didn't travel. We called the games off a monitor. Yeah, that's tough. And then they traded away your three favorite players from the yep. team that won the World Series. And you watched them lose 91 games. Yeah, that's year one. And then year two, with a team that was really nondescript, you watched them lose 88 games. And I'm the guy giving you the bad news. Yeah. So like, it, it's just this, pro- and, and like, it's been fun, even despite those things. But it's just this progression. It hasn't been normal to begin. And it certainly hasn't been what fans uh, were hoping for anticipating, given what 15 through 20 played out like when they made the playoffs every year, but one. So it's just different. And then I get to work with people who real like both JD and Taylor really love it every day and you've got to love it and they're playful and they're both smart and JD's as interesting as it gets. And I just the thoughtfulness and the curiosity that he has, I think is, I think is unsurpassed in terms of analysts in, in the sport. He's just that good.
1: My question next is, you know, going from 12 years of national broadcast, now back to local, was there a transition or do you feel like there's still a transition of like, man, I've got to have a sense of like this Homer type of inflection when the home team does well versus with the national, you just had to stay kind of unbiased.
0: Um, I don't know. People like fixate on that. I would hmm. still say, like, I think back to the last thing that I said. I think it's a good example of where fans don't—they're just not self-aware. I mean, I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but it's this: if they win a hundred games each of the next four years, I'm going to sound more like a homer because you're hearing more good, yeah. good plays happen. If they lose 91 games, it doesn't sound like I'm all that fired up because they're losing a lot. Yeah. And, like, I just think people forget that sometimes. So uh, I don't think that there was a huge – I mean, you know, I've said, for example, when I'm doing an ESPN game um, – Bryant is Bryant, and Baez is Baez, and Rizzo is Rizzo. When I'm doing it for the Cubs, it's KB, KB, Javi, and Riz. Yeah. Like, those are the subtleties. Um, I I will say, you know, like, in terms of the – I don't know about the Homer thing. The Homer thing is not my bag. I mean, it's just – I'm just not going to – if if the other team makes a sensational play, the baseball fan in me is going to react. That's right. that's who I am. Um, but it's just more fun when the Cubs win, and I want the Cubs to win. And you're going to hear that. I I don't know that I look at it as mm-hmm. as anything beyond that. I mean, look, the Acuna stuff is a good example of. Sure. That was viewed through the prism of the Cubs. It's like the Braves fans were unhappy with what we did. And, um, and in our mind, it was like, look, competition's going on. It's five, five in the tenth. Maybe we wait on running the highlight montage or lifting the bag. Like that's the thought.
1: So I was going to ask a little bit later, but since you brought it up, let's talk about the Acuna thing. Um, you know, I, I remember when it happened, hearing you and JD kind of talk about it. And I kind of was like, I bet you, I bet your Braves fans aren't going to like that. But also at the same time, who cares? Uh, because it was such a big, I mean, it, w- it was the biggest inning of Cubs baseball so far that year. Uh, because if they won that game, at least there's still some glimmer of a hope. If they lose that game, it's like, you know, it's going to take a miracle for them to make it. And here we go, you know, he gets steal number 70, which by yeah, the way, man. just breaks his own record. Right. And we're doing a montage. And I saw a lot of Braves fans respond with, on Twitter, like, well, you know, when he broke the record, he was on the road. And I was like, okay, I, I can give you that. But also, like, he's <laughs> stolen other bags on, at home since then, it had to be number 70. That was just so amazing. It's
0: fun with round numbers is what it is. Yeah, well, and, I, mean, and,
1: and I even thought about this. I was like, well, what about Maguire? Like when he hit 70, and in my mind, I was like, you know, he hit 62 and everyone went crazy. And then 63 through 70, in my mind, I was like, yeah, it was just another home run. Then I did watch the replay, and I saw that 70, they did make a little bit more of a big deal. Yeah. It was the last bat of the season. Yes. But it was also in a meaningless game where this one, like you mentioned, it had huge implications. So do you like look guys
0: have stolen 70 bases but yeah. like this is where it gets a little silly. It's like no one had hit 70 homers before. So but when and people have stolen 70 bases before they just hadn't done it while With also getting 40 home 41 homers. Yeah. yeah. I, like he's amazing. It's awesome. I I just it, I think the other part again, in the this age of social media uh, is just, my mic's open. Yeah, They pay me to tell you what I think. And JD too, I thought 5-5 five, in five the 10th wasn't the best time to celebrate the individual. We were in the middle of an important competition. These are the decisions. It's not absolute, but it's my opinion that in that moment, probably not the best choice i said if it was seven nothing in the fifth and they want to stop the game for a highlight montage Mm -hmm. i'm in um and then the other part that's just really funny and it's the way social media works is Mm -hmm. that i don't really give a crap (laughs) like and i'm not so okay well i'll do the ego part of it like I've been doing this for 25 years. I feel like a decent amount of people should sort of know what my vibe is. Sure. It ain't get off my lawn. Yeah. (laughs) And J.D.'s not that guy either. So I guess my first thought was, all right, let's give us a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because we're not the fun haters by a long shot. And then, and then the other one was just sort of like, it's just what people do now when you clip a 30-second cut and people are like, man, they were butt hurt. They were angry. God, they got so upset. Like, nobody else gets a say on how that moment made me feel. I'm the only one that is entitled to say with a perspective on how John Shambi felt. And I'm here to tell you, I thought they probably shouldn't have run the highlight montage. But did I wake up the next morning like, Bothered by that? Oh my God, no! Good. Like I don't. I mean, I I will tell you this. I'm going to do. I'm going to go do the Braves Phillies for radio, and I'm going to go to the workout tomorrow. And if I can, like, like, so, like, we'll put. You can break this news. If I can, I'm going to get Acuna to pose for a picture with me holding the bases. And I'm gonna point at him and I'm gonna send it out on social media to troll all the Braves fans.
1: Let's go. <laughs> I don't I care. It. Like, I don't yeah.
0: like it's just weird. And and the other thing is again, from the self-awareness standpoint, I'm coming at it from a Cubs perspective. From the Braves perspective, they don't care if the Cubs make the playoffs, they care because Ronald had the moment and that's all they care about. But like if it had been flipped, um, yeah, if it had been flipped, uh, they would be upset. And then I, in a very snarky way, but I'll I'll stand with uh, the Cubs fan base on this one. They were like, uh, I did an interview with AJ Pruszynski and I said, and he asked me, you know, okay, so let's say it's Bellinger. I was like, okay, but we're Wrigley Field, and we don't put "make noise" on the jumbotron yeah. or "get loud" on the jumbotron. We just
1: know to do it. We don't do that. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to go ahead and say we wouldn't have stopped the game in the tenth inning, five-five, to yeah. run a highlight montage. That's my thought.
1: Probably would have done it the next day. That's correct. Or, or right after the and game. Ended. Whatever. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, it, we're, we're like. That kid is so good. He's such a great player, Acuna. He's so great. He's so much fun to watch. He's so talented. Um, I think he'll win the MVP. I don't have a passionate. I think at this point, I think it's really tight between he and Mookie. There are a lot of advanced metrics. You, if you go to you know, wins above replacement and look at the value that Mookie delivers because of the positional versatility and especially the positional versatility that he delivers being right second and short, which is incredible. Um, and he's a superior defender, but I, like, I think Acuna is the MVP and I think he'll win and I'm I good agree. with that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think Acuna is the guy I, I do wonder, I've tried to put myself in the shoes a lot like what AJ presents said. Well, what if it was Bellinger? Um, but I think that's what sports is, right? Like, yes, it is. that's right. Yeah. You, you get, you get to have a strong opinion about something that the other side is just not going to agree with. But at the end yeah, of the, the day, only
0: thing is, is you don't like, I, I think the only thing that gets a little annoying, and again, there's not a, a ton of, I was having a conversation with it, but like, I understand my job is to communicate and, but I, I'm not having a personal conversation with every person. Mm -hmm. So it's like I was talking with someone about um, Sean McDonough's line in Tampa and him saying, you know, the group here at Wrigley or uh, at Tropicana Field seems uh, upset. He said, you know, it's it's a small gathering. I, I don't feel like I can call it a crowd. I'm calling it a group. Like, I had somebody say <laughs> that they took it as, like, he thinks it's beneath him. And that's what, like, I understand we're communicating, but, like, I was explaining to the person, like, Sean is not saying it's beneath him. He did yeah. not say it. He he went for the joke. And so, in the same way, yes, it is what fans are allowed to do, and they're going to have strong opinions, but in the end if we're going to get into an argument about whether you think I was upset I get to say no I wasn't really that upset I thought they shouldn't have done it but I'm fine moving on and you're wrong stop that's it
1: Yeah That's it You're entitled to your feelings and no one gets to tell you well, how I get you- to
0: say what they are yeah. you don't get yeah. to say what they are Exactly That's exactly. all so I just think every once in a while we hear things from broadcasters and we think um, that they're saying something that they may not be saying you just got to remember yeah the only person that knows the intent that understand is the communicator so I mean we could sit there and you know yell the noise and that type of thing but just circle back and remember like I mean that whole thing I think is hilarious like just the amount of stuff it's and and I've been off of Twitter and it still like got back to me because I was doing research and I just ran into it that people yeah. were, were buzzing on it and then I had friends and people sending me the, the stuff so
1: so you were a broadcaster starting in the in the 90s and early 2000s. so if if this happened then do you think you ever get this kind of lash back? No. Yeah. No. Is is that something that you know you're one of the more active broadcasters i see on twitter um some of like i've talked to chip carey and he's like i won't touch it i don't i don't want to subject myself to that does opening yourself up to that world impact just your your mental health going into a game of like but no. i mean you, you said you don't care don't, but still you know I don't it, think I'm
0: that active person okay I, so i mean the the it depends on what you think about being active. I certainly use it, you know, for charitable stuff and in something that I think is interesting, but I definitely do I don't interact with people. Like yeah. I'm not getting into a conversation with people on Twitter. I don't do that. I don't right. like I don't I'm not getting I'm not doing I think Acuna is the MVP, and here's why. And then going back and forth with people like I do not have those conversations.
1: You're Twitter. not you're not Buster only on Twitter. No, well
0: I <laughs> I don't. I mean, so I I use it to receive information, and I like to play. Like I that's the other thing I'll do is I like just sort of dropping something in there and playing. But I'm not directly activating. The only thing that here's the only and now. The only time, if you want to push my button on Twitter, it only it happens probably, I'm gonna say it happens ten or fifteen times a year. Okay. And it's the epitome of what social media is. The psychology of this, if you just like sat and just like kept what I'm about to tell you, if you just really breathe it in, it's the epitome of of what the psychology of twitter especially is is this 10 to 15 times a year and this is the one that i can't help to respond to i will have someone tweet at me scolding me correcting me yeah. urging me to do my homework correcting me <laughs> for a mistake that i made on the air I game that I am not doing. But so like the amount of times like that people will it probably happens 10 or 12 times, something like that, but they'll tech they'll tweet at me to correct me for something that I said that was wrong on a game I'm not doing. Yeah. And then so it's like, okay, so you're tweeting and then doing the thing that you're complaining that I'm doing. Cause you didn't check to see that I'm not actually doing the game. Yeah. And that's the one I'll tweet back and I'll say, I accept your apology. <laughs> that's usually how it started.
1: Uh, now. Can you imagine going live and trying to do the immaculate grid and people just bashing you on? How could you think that that person played for both the brewers and the Royals?
0: <laughs> that's amazing. I Yeah. You know, I need to start doing that.
1: You should. You should. Uh you're a you're big shoes guy and and socks guy too. I see you dropping that on on Twitter.
0: Yeah, I'll I, every once in a while we'll we'll throw some, it's it's a random I don't know how I became this person. I mean, part of it is, you know, I'm single. I don't have kids. I would say during COVID it kind of exploded cuz I was bored. Um and then the other component is I'm 6'1" and i have size 15 feet I, i'm cow. still waiting to hit my growth spurt <laughs> and play in the nba and i so i can't just find a pair of sneakers and be like i like those i'm getting those so it's a little bit of a scavenger hunt okay well so that's part of how my shoe game got cultivated
1: that's good i like it uh Random question here. You posted a photo with John Mulaney on Twitter too. I'm a big John Mulaney fan. They got me thinking like who, who's been like the seventh inning stretch singer so far that you've been like, all right, that was either my favorite performance or favorite person to meet. Uh, Cause I feel like that's a really unique, fun tradition with the Cubs for sure.
0: Um, John Mulaney's version was one of the best. He's got he- such
1: a good voice. That was so random
0: great um i love john mulaney um I, you know like the, the chicago guys it, you know it certainly cool bob Odenkirk,
1: yeah. jeff
0: garland vince vaughn um I'm trying to think if there's one that's really uh like candace parker was cool to me i think she's a okay. badass um cool. I don't know that there was that there was one. I like Roy Wood Jr. a lot. So it was neat to okay. watch him just, for, you know, like I have watched him on the Daily Show. Um, Coach Beard from uh, Ted Lasso.
1: Oh, yeah, that was fun. He's a lot more of a talker in person than he is on the oh, show. God. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I,
0: I don't have, I don't have like one. Okay. I don't have one. I would just say, I think there's just still, I don't know, man. Like I didn't grow up a cup fan, but there's still a, I, I knew Andre Dawson from my time at the Marlins because he, cool. he finished up with the Marlins and he worked as an executive there. So I got to know him and he was always really great to me. Awesome. Um, and And Hawks, my childhood, right? Like, my favorite player was Mike Schmidt as a kid. Um, you know, so Hawks right in that in that same prime. And so like there's still when Ryan Sandberg comes into the booth, when I was doing a game, I don't remember what it was, but like Yeah, I was I was doing a game and all of a sudden somebody hit me like in the back of the back of my shoulder with a piece of paper and I turn around and it's Andre Dawson like giggling and I'm just like there's a Hall of Famer like messing with like there's still a part of it that's when I see Rhino when I see Hawk like 12 year old me yeah I mean heck I had we had a rain delay uh, with the Cubs in New York and um It's where, you know, Taylor is just this ball of energy. And, but she's so young. So, you know, I remember the 86 Mets, man. Like Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling were badasses. And, you know, every girl was in love with them. And so, like, during the rain delay, we're sitting there um, talking with Darling and Gary Cohen and Keith Hernandez. And, it assert- and just laughing and watching games and Keith showing pictures of his cat, Haji, and we're snorting, laughing. And there's a part of me that's sitting there going, oh, my God, 16-year-old me would be losing his mind.
1: Right? Oh, for sure.
0: So it's cool, cool, man.
1: That's really cool. Well, I want to talk about something that is near and dear to your heart, Project Main Street. Um You know, I've, I've heard you talk about it a lot on broadcasts. I've done some research as well. And I know that a lot of this came from you and your friendship with, uh, Tim Sheehy. Yep. Um, can you talk about just that friendship and what, what really about that friendship got you to say, okay, you know, I want to fight against ALS for people like this.
0: Well, so. I mean, Tim is somebody I met when I moved to New York. We were both, I was seven, he was eight. Uh, Mm. So we grew up together. We grew up in the same neighborhood. And fast forward, 2005, he was diagnosed with ALS. You know, my childhood friends still are my childhood friends, that group of guys. So um, it really started, at least in part, because Tim and Katie were having such a hard time financially as his condition worsened. So we decided we were going to have a charity event. Now, Tim played soccer at the University of South Carolina. And one of the guys on that University of South Carolina soccer team ended up as his roommate was also um, in Hootie and the Blowfish. So we had Hootie and the Blowfish play an event, raised a ton of money. We took a good chunk of it and gave it to Tim and Katie. But then with the other part and this, you know, Tim was alive. So we still, um, you know, he was a participant in it and and helped form the charter for the charity. But we made Project Main Street to help people like Tim and Katie going forward. So that was how it started. So he was the one that came up with the name. We grew up in a place in New York city called Roosevelt Island. It has one street. It's called, it's called main street. So we called the project main street to rep where we all grew up. And, you know, that was kind of it. I don't, I think, you know, most of the money goes to research. Mm -hmm. So we're a small arm, but every dollar in goes back out. Um, and that's important. And then, It's such an underfunded disease. I think it's amazing that in 2023, we have an incurable disease. The disease is incurable. I think the thing that is so heartbreaking is I meet all of these people and they all die. And there are no exceptions, none. And that part is really challenging. I think the part of being involved, and then the platform of being a broadcaster that I didn't realize is that you can impact them or we do impact them with more than just money because what ends up happening is when you lose your ability to communicate, And to be mobile which are the two main things you know the i think the two most devastating things about it lose the ability to communicate and be mobile think about that your world gets so small yeah and so you can't get out into the world when you get out into the world you can't speak and so it's so your ability to say hey i see you hey um how are you doing makes their world bigger again, if not just for a second or for some time or just some care to check in. Um, And it's just really impactful. You know, we did a game earlier this year. I mean, you talk about a a wild experience in terms of coincidence, but Dougie Glanville and I, um, who just finished doing, Playoffs on TV and we'll have playoffs on the radio, but we were doing a Cubs game in Anaheim and we walked out. Doug had rented a car and he parked in a very Doug Glanville, random, like out in center field. Like he parked by the, okay. you know what I mean? Like just not media parking, just where <laughs> so We get to the car and I go to put my bag in the trunk of the car. And uh, I turn to my right and there's a van Right, parked right next to us. So the back of the van is open. And when I turn, there's a woman in a wheelchair. Mm. And we make eye contact. And her eyes get really big. And I can tell that she recognized me. But she can't speak. And now mm-hmm. my wheels are turning because I've seen it before. My first thought is, I wonder if she has ALS. Right. I realize she's wearing cub stuff. And then her husband comes around the corner and another friend. They're all wearing cub stuff. And the guy says, oh, my gosh, boo." Hey, I'm Manny. This is my wife Florida. She has ALS. Project Main Street helped us 2 years wow. ago. And we were literally parked next to them in a stadium that that night there were 33,000 people. Wow. Um and That's so skills. it's yeah. not look man like don't and so I got them tickets to the game the next time. And then in Arizona, I got them tickets to the game and went and said hi to them. And I'll text with Florida some and
1: that's so cool.
0: But it's, yeah, it's, it's, um,
1: it's close to your heart.
0: Yeah. It's close to my heart. And then the other part is like, you just learn, I think as you get older, that, you know, our brains can be pretty evil in terms of just the stories we tell ourselves and thinking and thinking about ourselves all the time. And being of service is something that I think does everybody good. Um, And so just in a little way, if you can be of service, I think that, you know, it, it, it helps you personally. It certainly helps the other person, but um, that was amazing. Like Manny in Florida, um, Florida just texted me the other day. She was devastated with the way the season ended. It was a, it was a hard, it was a yeah. hard season. So, yeah.
1: Wow. Well, we can, we can tell how close to your heart and how passionate you are about this. And, you know, um, I, I, I think it's surprising how many people have some sort of ALS connection. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a professor and I had a cousin, uh, both amazing people. And it's just yeah. like, you know, like you said, to see them go from, 100% down to, you know, just barely holding on is really difficult to to watch. You're closer to it than I am. Is there any progress, any hope for I, any mean, sort
0: of I don't have it's I mean, how am I supposed to be the one to frame that? I mean, yes, they have. Yeah. You know, it's like Chris Snow who just passed away. He's an assistant general manager with the Calgary Flames. I mean, I literally saw him at the All Star game with his wife, with Steve Gleason, with Sarah Langs, uh, Gleason and Langs, who both have ALS. And like, if you had told me at the All Star game that Chris was going to die in September, I would have been like, yeah, I don't think so. Wow. Um, but Chris also, in terms of his diagnosis, lived way longer and took drugs that helped sustain him longer. So I mean, yeah, they're doing stuff to uh and Chris had familial ALS, mm-hmm. which is different than um which is different than like what Florida has where you know just sort of standard. Like Chris had multiple people in his family that's had it and that that is uh able to be affected by a certain type of medicine that can kind of prolong effects. Um but right now, we're not, you know, close to curing. Right,
1: right. Well, Boog, if anyone does want to help and pitch into the cause, where can they go to do that?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, the, you know, if you're looking to do, you know, research-based donations, the folks at Mass General do an amazing job. Our charity helps people living with the disease. So if you donate okay. a dollar, it will go to someone with the disease project main it's ma dot t.org okay um, and there's and you can buy there we got cool t-shirts and that type of thing so
1: okay we'll drop that in the show notes guys so if you do want to help go ahead and go down to the show notes uh but for now it's time for our rapid fire segment we are yes. 27th out you ready to rock yes all right let's do this number one i uh, name one of your pregame rituals
0: I I know there's a million different things, but, like, if you gave me my scorecard, my pregame ritual is always to have where each team ranks in runs per game, homers, on base, and slugging, and where they rank in ERA, starters, ERA, relievers, ERA, and strikeout rate. That's, like, my thing. It's just sort of how I begin – my prep is blank, and the first thing that I will do is write in, where do the Cubs rank in this? Where do the Brewers rank in this?
1: Cool. I like it. You like to be prepared. Favorite player of all time? Mike Schmidt. Not close. Nice. Favorite player now?
0: I, I, can't, I don't know that I can do it. I mean, I—
1: Who's the first maybe two or three that come to mind?
0: I mean, I'm down with greatness, right? Like, I don't – I mean, so Trout would be, you know, one of the first guys that would come to mind. Um, you know, with the Cubs, I love Kyle Hendricks. I yeah. love broadcasting a Kyle Hendricks start. Um, you know, Cubs fans probably, probably disliked it. But, like, I love Joey Votto. I love how smart Joey Votto is. I love his career. Yeah, um, He's interesting. I just, the great stuff on the field, you know, watching belly this year was awesome. Was watching Dansby Swanson play defense was amazing. Um, I know I, I don't I don't I don't have a favorite player today the way Mike Schmidt was my favorite.
1: OK, player. cool. How about favorite player present or past or uh, sorry, favorite coach present or past to interview?
0: I know this is supposed to be a lightning round, but I, I'll, I'll use it to say. Like non cub category because Rossi's my dude. Yeah. I'll go Tori Lovello. Um, okay. And my Tori Lovello three, like, I've known him a long time, I have a good relationship with him. Um, my good Tori Lovello story that I didn't get in during the broadcast was I used to do walk and talks with a player or a coach on ESPN called 90 Feet and okay. for an Arizona Angels series. The producer texts me, what are you thinking about for 90 feet? And I texted him back, I'm thinking about Tori Lavello. (laughs) Um, And I waited for him to text me back, and he never texted me back. And so I said, I'll just set up the interview. And Uh I go to text Tori, and then I realized that what I had actually done is at 11-something at night, I had sent Tori Lavello a text that simply said, I'm thinking about Tori Lavello. <laughs> oh, no. I looked at the phone and I was like, no! And then I had to text him and say, Tori, I'm really sorry for that weird text. And then when we did the walk and talk, the last question I asked him was, what's the creepiest text you've gotten in the last six months? And he just looked at me and he goes, you know. <laughs>
1: Uh, oh my he, gosh he's one he's wonderful he's great oh that's that's got to be one of the most <laughs> heartbreaking and awkward wrong texts <laughs> that i've heard in a long I time told the awesome. story
0: a million times so like <laughs> uh i you know so like randomly during the broadcast yesterday sean doolittle who just retired yeah had heard me tell the story i guess because he sends me a text that's saying I'm thinking of Tori Lavello. He might be going to the division series. I was like, "Yeah, that's,
1: right. uh, that's going to stick with you for a long time." That's awesome. Uh, favorite broadcaster of all time?
0: I think it's got to be Vin. Yeah. I, you know, like it'd be Vin or John Miller, but just Vin. There's mm-hmm. just I don't even think I realized I wanted to do it, but I just could remember listening to Vin. I remember. As a kid, I remember in 86, the Buckner play, which I think is one of the most brilliant calls, you know, like little roller up along first and he's trailing the play and then it gets between Buckner's legs. And in real time, he says, behind the bag, because now the ball's, and he says, it gets through Buckner. Here comes night and the Mets win it. It just... Yeah, it's just I love him. He's yeah, I, he's radio or TV, it doesn't matter. I think he's I think he's one of the best broadcasters, sports, non sports, whatever. He's he's a poet. He's a poet. I love it.
1: I love it. Favorite non home stadium to visit.
0: So I'm gonna rule out Wrigley and Fenway, and I'll mm-hmm. say San Francisco.
1: I love it. Three hours away from us, we go all the time. What person or thing? helped you grow your love for baseball growing up. Um
0: man, uh it's ho- I I I just my family, like mm. my dad did, but my mom did too. My mom loves it. My the you know, I was 6 years old, my grandparents were leaving to go on a cruise, they explained to me what a cruise was, and I sat there and listened to them. They're like, you know, you go out on a boat and it's big and you gamble and you eat and blah blah blah. And the only thing I asked was, how do you get the box scores? And they said (laughs) and I said, Well, I'm never going on a cruise. I'm out. I'm out. (laughs) And I've never been on a cruise by the way, although that's not why.
1: Oh that's awesome. Uh if a movie was gonna be made about you today, Boog, who would you like to play your character
0: I don't know I mean like Chris Farley and John Candy have both passed right so yeah. I get a little Seth Rogen if I'm slimmed down some okay um
1: when I'm voice too.
0: down I actually got I, I've in the past I've gotten a little Jason Bateman to me oh um, okay um I don't I don't know that, I, th- those are candidates. How's
1: that? I, I like I like those candidates. Uh, I asked this question to Len Castro. I'm going to ask it to you too. Your favorite Jack McKeon story. <laughs> <laughs> I love that um, response already.
0: Oh man!
1: Uh, I know that's a curveball. I didn't prep you for that one. No, no, but
0: it's it. There, there's so many good ones. I mean, calling down to the bullpen and saying, get the lefty up and saying, well, do you want Almanza or do you want Alvarez and him being is it Alvarez? I think so. And then and being like, I don't know. I don't care. Just get one of them up. <laughs> Just get a lefty up. <laughs> he, I mean, oh, there, yeah. was a, there was a million like that. I mean, he pinch ran Mike Mordecai for Mike Lowell two different times and both times Morty wouldn't score. Lowell was having this monster year and then he'd hit a pinch and then he would hit a Homer in his first at bat to walk it off. Um, That happened twice. And I went up to Jack and I said, you know, after Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo that Andy Fox is our third fastest guy, right? And Jack said, he is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. That's awesome. Okay, great job on the lightning round. Final pitch question. Uh, You and JD, one of my favorite things you talk about is egregious calls by the umpires. Um, Are you in favor of robots for the strike zone in the future?
0: No, I am in favor of the challenge system. I want to keep the humanity and we'll do the challenge system. Because? I think that there's some unintended consequences that would come with robot umpires and it would really change the game. And I think that having the ability to challenge while still keeping the humans in it is the better way.
1: I heard Joe Madden the other day talk about like, what else is there going to be left to argue? I want more reasons to argue if I'm a manager. I don't agree with that part. I think okay. that's, I mean, I don't agree with that
0: part. Like I don't, you know, on the one hand you can sit there and, we can look back and some of those are funny, but at a certain point, I mean, you like, they're funny, but you watch some of these arguments and it's, I find myself feeling embarrassed for everybody. Yeah. Kind of like, what are we doing? Yeah. It's like in this sport, we, for years, you were allowed to do it and go out there and behave like a buffoon. Um I don't need the game to be delayed to watch two adult men yell at each other. Like, I'm I'm good on that one.
1: <laughs> uh, Boog, I love it. You're awesome. You're raw. You're who you are. And uh, this has been a real fun interview. So thank you so much for jumping on and being a part of the Setup Man podcast. I appreciate you.
0: You got it, Kyle. Thanks, man.
1: Did anyone else laugh as hard as I did with that story with Tori Lovello? Like, that was that's probably my favorite story so far that's been on the setup man podcast let me know what you thought of this episode either review us or go ahead and leave a comment on the youtube channel once again three steps review or subscribe on youtube or apple Podcasts or spotify send a screenshot of that to me at kyle at Setupman.net and i'll go ahead and send you a hat or a shirt of your liking that only goes till november 1st make sure to go ahead and do that before november 1st now Next week is week number two of our broadcaster series, Matt Vasgersian. I actually worked with Matt for two years with the Padres. I can tell you what, he is a very intelligent human being. One of the true students of the game as well. I remember sitting down with him and he told me, if you want to become a broadcaster and here's exactly what you need to do and if you feel like there are gaps in your experience or gaps in your knowledge of baseball go read a book about it and you can just tell how much this guy studies the game and we talk about the current state of baseball as well so that's really going to be the main topic when we talk to matt Veskersen next week on the setup man podcast all right that's going to do it for now setup nation i'm going to go ahead and put my arm on ice we'll see you next week